You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings and welcome to summer. Officially, summer is here. June has begun. The sun's out. Everyone's in love. And everyone's busting out the sunblock. Unless you live in England, like I do. Well, you still have to put on eight layers and take an umbrella. But hey-ho, we're very glad for the rest of you sun worshippers around the world. Must be lovely to be able to see your way around in the streets every afternoon without using a torch. Absolutely packed show for you today. Yes, we've got movie reviews, sure. Yes, there's a very cool old-time radio episode coming later, sure. But I also have a very special guest with me on this episode. My good friend Lily Raymond is joining me later for a trip into Radioland. Yes, we are going to pick our top five old-time radio episodes of all time. And I think the answers may well surprise you. That's coming up later for now. Let's celebrate the arrival of June in the best way possible. June is busting out all over. Every lady fish is wishing that a male would come and grab her by the gills. Because it's June, 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 June. Just because it's June, June, June. Fresh and alive and gay and young, June is a love song, sweetly. Junior and my sister's even loonier, and my ma's getting kittenish with Pat. The sheep aren't sleeping anymore. All the rams that chase the ewe sheep are determined they'll be new sheep, and the ewe sheep aren't even keeping score. Because it's true. Predicting that the summer'd never come. But it's come by, come 
June is busting out all over this show, but before we give in to the blinding sunshine, let's just take a swift dip into the shadows because a brand new edition of the Dark Pages is with us. It's a bumper edition this time to celebrate its 100th edition. So, my heartiest congratulations to Karen and her fabulous gang of writers. This special commemorative issue is all about my favorite noir. Not my favorite noir, their favorite noir. So, the magazine's writers all choose their favorite shadowy classic and tell you about why it stands out. Films include Double Indemnity, Leave Her to Heaven, The Big Sleep, Phantom Lady, and more. Interesting question, actually. What would your favorite noir classic be? A whopping 24 pages of noir excellence this time. So to get your copy, go to www.allthatnoir.com immediately. Well, a big announcement. Carrie, part three, has officially begun. The first half of that thing has just been released over at patreon.com slash attaboysecret for patrons. So if you're not signed up yet, then do go on over and get instant access to not just that, but hundreds more hours of Hollywood history listening all ready for your summer. And talking of which, those of you who've listened to the whole thing already might find themselves with a slight advantage right now as one of the people who features rather heavily in it is a big part of today's round of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend. Yes, prick up your ears, sharpen your wits, and see if you can guess. Panel, as you know, in the case of our mystery celebrity, we dispense with all of the usual preliminaries and get right down to the general questioning. We'll begin that general questioning with Miss Kilgallen. Do you frequently appear before the public? Sometimes. Really? Uh, Are you female? Yes. Uh, Do you consider yourself in any form of the entertainment business? Some people say I do. Sounds like Snow White. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Have you ever appeared uh, on a stage? Yes. Have you ever appeared in the movies? Yes. Uh, Have you ever appeared on radio? Yes. Versatile. are, are you what is uh, generally known as a leading lady? Um, sometimes. Uh, are, are you usually the one who marries the hero in the end? I never get the man. <laughs> one down and nine to go, Mr. Sir. Have you been in a play on Broadway within the past year? No. Two down and eight to go, Miss Moore. Have you been in a picture in the last year? Yes, you have. Are you a visitor in this city? Yes. Do I know you? 
Do I'm, you? I, I mean, don't know. Personally, I mean. What? Is that fair to ask? Can I ask that, Mr. Yes, Dishler? you can ask that question. Do I know you personally? Maybe she won't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you a blonde? By the drugstore, yes. <laughs> She dies by her own hand. Uh, are you married? I was. Anyway. <laughs> oh, dear. Are you a comedian? Some people think I'm funny. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, dear. I'm, I pass. I'm sorry. All right, Mr. Block. Is that your own voice, or were you scared by an aeroplane? <laughs> Let us say that it's, it's a disguised voice, Mr. Block, but I still think... Don't you think it would be nice if we knew her regular voice? Oh, not at all. You carry on, old boy. <laughs> dimples. Uh, does she have dimples? Yes. She does? Not as big as Twins. yours. <laughs> what? Uh, has Connie ever worked with you in a yes. picture? Yes. She has? Should we have a conference? Because, yes. because I think Connie is getting warm. All right, warm. I'll give you 30 seconds for a conference. I can feel the heat from here. <laughs> we have only three have minutes to go, Pedal. You can say it out loud, Connie. Say it out loud. It, is it Eve Is it Eve Arden? No. Three down and seven to go, and we have about three minutes to go. Miss Kilgallen. You say you've appeared on radio. Have you ever uh, had a running part in a radio program? Yes. You played uh, the same type of character. Oh, yes. Could it be Billy Burke? No. John Davis? John Davis. No, no Al Fresco guessing, please, uh, Mr. Block. Go ahead, Miss Kilgallen. Do you sing? Maybe it's Al Fresco. <laughs> That's Joe Fresco. Uh, are, are you regarded as a pinup girl? <laughs> no. Four down and six to go. Mr. Surf. Uh, do you ever do any dancing? <laughs> oh, yes. Have you danced in pictures that you've been in? No. Never five danced? Five to go, Miss Moore. Were you, or are you now under contract to any particular studio, any one studio? No. Six down and four to go, Mr. Block. Are you, in, are you in New York now for a special purpose, like television or a play or something? No. Seven down and three to go, Miss oh. Kilgallen. Are you just um, are you having fun? <laughs> Yes? Are you having fun? Yes! <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Do you do something besides act? Yes. Do you write? Some people think I do. Do you have a radio program uh, in which you sometimes act, sometimes give chatter? Sometimes. Are you we'll stop it there. As I say, if you've heard the first half of Carrie Part 3 then you'll have a very good idea of who this is. Answer coming up later in the show. Bit of a curious movie choice for you first today. Something straight out of the blue. A sports, drama, entertainment thing that truly surprised me. 1951's The Harlem Globetrotters, starring the Globetrotters themselves alongside Thomas Gomez and Dorothy Dandridge. I did wonder when this thing span into life. 
if it was going to be a coherent story, or just a chance to show off some serious skills in the company of the fan favourite basketball players. I remember the Harlem Globetrotters cartoon on Saturday mornings, that theme tune, of course, and the many, many trick shots. Now, look, I won't profess to be a sports fan. I know very little about anything outside of tennis. But for some reason, in my mind, the Harlem Globetrotters always seemed to be more of an entertainment act. I think it's the way they were branded when I was growing up. Delightful to discover that they are actually still out there a few lineup changes later and still competing at the highest level. Anyway, on to the movie. We're in the company of the Trotters and their manager, Abe Saperstein. Quick note, Saperstein was their real-life manager, and here he's played by Thomas Gomez. The Trotters are approached by science whiz kid Billy Townsend, who wants to drop out of college in order to follow his dreams of being a pro basketball player. Mr. Saperstein? Yeah. My name's Townsend. Billy Townsend. Glad to know you, Townsend. What can I do for you? It's what I can do for you, Mr. Saperstein. If the price is right, I'm available for the Trotters this season. Well, what makes you think I need you? Do you want to beat the Celtics? You can do it? Well, the Celtics are a lot stronger this year. You'll need help. I figure I can be the difference to you. The difference between win or lose. What do you say? Townsend impresses the guys in tryouts and soon becomes a part of the team, leaving behind the girl he loves, Anne, played by Dorothy Dandridge. But fame soon goes to Townsend's head. Yes, he's got the skills on court, but can he tame his ever-growing arrogance and learn all about what it takes to become a part of not just a team but the greatest basketball team of all time. Come on, cheer up, fellas. Just another ball game. You toss a big fat cantaloupe through a hair net, and you get paid for it. You know, I bet we'll be able to pack Yankee Stadium for that next Celtic ball game. Shut up, Townsend. Hey, let me tell you something. My chemistry professor, he once worked three years on one experiment. Bust all his notes in the fire. Now, that's what I call a catastrophe. Listen, Townsend, I'm not going to be a chemist or anything, but ever since I was a kid, I wanted to wear this uniform, and so did every kid on the block. The Globetrotters were always the best. So when we lose, it isn't just another ball game. It is a catastrophe. Sports movies, then, so hard to pull off, because what if you're not a fan of basketball, or baseball, or football, or arm wrestling, or whatever sport your film centers around? Tricky, because you're potentially shutting yourself off from a very large percentage of people. And so the best sports films are the ones that really only place the sport itself at the fringes of the action, and focus instead on the people. You have hits such as A League of Their Own, which appealed greatly to us here in the United Kingdom, even though we don't know anything about baseball. Tin Cup, a movie about golf, should be one of the most sedate movies ever. Instead, it's a pretty thrilling story about a washed-up rebel who cares more about making the perfect shot than the big bucks. Field of Dreams, Moneyball, Escape to Victory, all essentially sports films, but all telling exciting human stories. And that's why the Harlem Globetrotters works so well. Basketball itself is only the MacGuffin behind a tender little tale of fame and its corrupting effects. It's also a sweet love story at the centre, and Dorothy Dandridge is wonderful to see in anything. It absolutely zips by, too. I was thoroughly entertained, 
even during the basketball match scenes. I know nothing about how it works, as it's never been a popular sport here, but the storytelling is so well done that I was up to speed on the mechanics in no time and cheering on the skills of everyone on screen. And in case you're wondering if the actual Harlem Globetrotters get to do their legendary ball tricks on film, you bet they do. There are a couple of extended scenes that show them up to their comedic best, and yes, it's slightly superfluous to the plot, but it's a fabulous way of breaking the tension. All in all, a real slam dunk. Definitely go and check out 1951's The Harlem Globetrotters. Such an entertaining film. I can't wait to watch it again. Yes, that was that cat, all right. But what could be more different to a basketball story set in 1950s America? Well, how about a vaudeville musical love story set in Victorian England and telling the story of how musical copyright came to be a thing? Absolutely straight up. That is the plot of 1945's I'll Be Your Sweetheart, starring Margaret Lockwood and Michael Rennie. But is it a pretty penny or a penny dreadful? Here's a clip. From the north, aren't you? Manchester? Yes, how did you know? Ah, I got a wonderful eye. All the way from Manchester to set the Thames on fire. There might be a song in that if I gave it a bit of thought. I've come to London to be a song publisher. I've got an idea to sell popular music for sixpence a copy. Sixpence? Why not? Music for the masses? It's a tough business, young man. I've got a little saved. I'm not afraid of work. Any idea what you're taking on? All I need is the luck. And that's why I'm asking you for a song. Me? A LeBron song would give me a wonderful start. Back in ye olde turn o' the century, idealistic young music publisher Bob Fielding, played by Rennie, arrives in London hoping to make it big by selling sheet music to punters for just a few coins. Thing is, the market's being ruined by pirates. Not the swashbuckling type, although that would have been a fabulous film. No, nasty copyright pirates are doing a 19th century Napster and printing their own copies of popular songs. Punters snatch these up for half the cost, which is threatening the blooming livelihoods of the songwriters themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to say a word, if I may. You all know the name of George Lebrun. He wrote, Oh, Mr. Porter, he was the greatest popular songwriter of our day. I say was, because last night, George Lebrun died. You'll probably wonder why I'm telling you this. Well, incredible as it may seem, the total amount of song royalties due to George Lebrun at his death are one pound and sevenpence. One pound and sevenpence is all George Lebrun is able to leave his widow. Why? Because his music was pirated, that's why. Come on, Edie, we want another song. Yes, yeah. come on, Edie, girls, sing. Yeah. I'm going to sing to you, boys and girls, but before I do, I want you to promise me you'll never buy another sheet of stolen music. Teaming up with the biggest star of the London stage, Edie Story, played by Margaret Lockwood, Bob first uses his fists to clean the streets of musical pirates. What a sentence that was to say. Before taking his plight to the law courts, surely there must be some way of, oh, I don't know, putting into action a law that will protect the ownership rights of songs and everything. One that's still in use to this day. This bill is directed against the poorest of the poor. Men who sometimes cannot even read the name of the song they're trying to sell. Men whose only interest, whose only anxiety is to earn something to support their wives and children. Will the Honourable Member think a while? It has been known for composers to have a wife and children. Does the Honourable Member for Scotland Division of Liverpool seriously ask the House to copyright this? Boiled beef and carrots? 
boiled beef and carrots. That's the stuff for your Derby cow. Fascinating little story. And when it first started, I must admit, I was a little turned off by the abundance of songs. I mean, I love vaudeville music in doses, you know, but after six or seven of the blighters, they do tend to sort of blend into one, you know. Anyway, after Act One, the story kicks up into high gear and it becomes this tale of copyright infringement and how the first laws were enacted, which is far more interesting. And it's topped off with a sort of love story meringue between Edie and Bob. When the whole thing swings into its climax and encore, you do feel very satisfied. That is, if you stick with it, which I recommend. For a British film, too, it's surprisingly Hollywood in terms of production quality and design. This feels like it must have bankrupted the whole country to make. Also, Margaret Lockwood is to die for in everything, and she's flipping marvellous and charming and beautiful in this. It's wildly over the top in parts, especially during the big punch-up at the end. But as long as you don't go in expecting an accurate history lesson and instead go in wanting to be entertained, then it'll certainly do the job for you. Would say that although it's a lovely film, you might get 15 minutes in and start edging towards the remote as the songs are kind of relentless. And as I say, the songs are those vaudeville type ones with titles like Edna's a Washerwoman in Halifax Town, or I'll Love You Even When Your Dandruff Flares Up, or Along the Banks of the Thames There's an Old Man Who Picks Up the Litter and things like that, and they all sound exactly the same. Beneath that, though, there is a very sweet film with a good heart. And the premise itself, I think you'll agree, is definitely worth checking out. That's 1945's I'll Be Your Sweetheart. And if you want to see I'll Be Your Sweetheart or the Harlem Globetrotters, then both are now available to watch in the classic movie library. Just make sure you're signed up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret and you'll have instant access. Well, I told you this was a packed old show today and I was not pulling a leg. I had the great pleasure of spending some time with my good friend, Lily Raymond, where we discussed our top five episodes of old time radio. Now, I know I tend to play an episode for you each time on this show and they always tend to tie into the movies I talk about. But as Lily and I discuss, they weren't just all about showcasing movie hits. Sometimes they did wild things with the medium of radio and carved out the airwaves as their very own theatrical experience. Well, a very special treat for everyone this week. I have a good friend of mine, Lily Raymond, who's decided to join me so we can geek out about old-time radio. Lily, it's fabulous that you came to join today, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love the show. I was uh, a guest on uh, one of Lily's podcasts a little while ago, and we talked about old-time radio at length, and we thought it'd be a great idea if she joined me here so that we could share our top five, which I think is going to be quite an interesting little list. <laughs> I hope you give me some new recommendations, because um, I think I've heard pretty much every episode of old-time radio about four times now. Well, so that's not looking... intimidating at all. <laughs> I definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully these are these are good lists. Listens. It's definitely hard to narrow down to top five, but mm. that's also a good task to try to go with. Yeah, it was good fun looking into this. Um, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you do? Because you have the greatest job ever. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, <laughs> but I do. One of my joys is I get to work with students who I learn from all the time, um, particularly media arts students, since my background isn't really 
film and media. Uh, I am the sociology librarian, so I help students with and faculty with like research and do presentations and stuff like that. And then my other hat is I'm the first year experience coordinator, which means I get to welcome all the freshmen and transfer students who are brand new to college. And that's really a lot of running around and um, giving out a lot of swag and getting to know them and telling them it's okay. Very popular. <laughs> well, I'm okay with being silly. And that seems to work well. Like they don't, mm. it, it kind of breaks down some of the anxiety of like, oh my gosh, I'm in college all on my own by now right now um but then a very kind of random thing um is that uh i co-coordinate real to real classics with my colleague steven guerrero who's the media librarian and we kind of look at that intersection of media literacy and representation with like sociology and we co-sponsor with student orgs so we really like to examine classic film and um from the past and kind of look at it with today's lens and see what's changed what hasn't but in terms of old time radio, this isn't really something I get to talk about with a lot of people. It's a very special kind of um, quirkiness. So getting to meet you and just going down that rabbit hole was so fun. Um, oh, and, well, you too. Yeah. I, I can honestly say I know a proper librarian and it's the University of North Texas, right? University of North Texas in Denton. So undoubtedly you'll be receiving fan mail after this because oh. um, you're such a lovely personality and, and people are obviously going to want to get in touch with you that's so um, sweet well it's fabulous that you came today um, and thank you for sharing your morning with us last time we talked we, we thought it'd be a good idea if we ran down our top five episodes of old time radio and i was really surprised when i put mine together because i think there's a difference between saying what i think are the best episodes of all time radio and what i think are my favorite episodes of all time mm. radio so i've done my favorite because um I, th I think you know technically there are probably ones that are better than this but the ones that i love with all my heart i just couldn't get past those how did you come up with your list i think that's a great approach so mm -hmm. i tried to actually look at different series but then mm -hmm. i um this is probably very librarian of me i had to have categories and i gave myself some restrictions <laughs> so i didn't actually pick any series that were like like the whistler and like really cool mm -hmm. things like that i picked like you know mercury theater like these different um series that hosted either like classic movies or original plays. so i started to like try to think of that then the other criteria i gave myself which was hard was to try to find if i was doing a film adaptation an original cast because i thought that was something that was very unique of the time like i don't imagine that you know in blockbuster films like <laughs> do a, a, a radio play so I thought that was something unique of the time as well um so I tried to limit myself um in terms of too many films but I'm with you like I don't know what I don't know if I know what's the best I think there's so so many it, a lot of it's based on your mood or do you identify or really like those characters and, and you keep like going with those series I that's what I tried to do but I had way more than five but I just kept narrowing it down especially with like suspense which we'll, i'm sure we'll get to oh i was i was really shocked because i haven't got an episode of suspense in my top five <gasps> and i yeah i know right and and that's literally for me the gold standard of old time radio and i i was really surprised yeah i mean i'm sure if we'd done a top 20 there would have been about 10 episodes but top five i had to go with my okay. heart do you want to go first 
Okay. And these are not in order. I kind of like did them alphabetical order. Oh, mine are in order. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's that's too hard for me, Adam, because again, okay. it's a mood. There's some. We don't want to like, give you any more criteria. Yes, it's fine. Come on You've got now. Like, I mean, it depends on the day. So the very first one is Academy Award Theater. Oh, I so love that. So Academy Award yeah. Theater wasn't around very long. Um, and often had original stars. And I did do a little bit of research on this stuff. It's kind of hard to find old time radio research, even for a librarian yeah. I ordered. Like there's just, it's just not, there's just not as much on it. But um, I realized that one of the reasons it didn't stay, stay around very long is they had to pay all, like pay for the name Academy Award. Really? What so, did they have to pay the Academy? Like, I, I don't remember the exact amount, but it definitely put them out of business after a wow. year. So <laughs> um, I, I already <laughs> mentioned this in our um, interview when you kindly came over to talk to us about everything going on with your creative ventures, but I will not presume that people have listened to that podcast, <laughs> but uh, this is a lighter one and it is um, one of my favorite actresses um, underrated of all time, Rosalind Russell in oh, My Sister right. Eileen. Is this the one you recommended to me when I was on your show? Yes. So yeah, I, I, I went away and listened listen? to this. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, you're definitely right. Go on, tell people what, what happened. This is like about um, not sibling rivalry, but friendship. Rosalind Russell's like the big sister. In a way, it's one of her career woman roles, but usually in those roles, she's highly successful. And they're like, okay, great, but you're not a real woman. Go get a man now. And mm -hmm. it's not that. It's about two sisters who go to New York and try to live their dream. And I just think it's just, there's like a sweet, there's like a screwball element to it. It's kind of that hilarious pursuit of the American dream and how it's not all sugar-coated, you know, like they definitely really have to deal with like landlords and all this kind of stuff. I just, it's just, it's like a sweet, fun thing. And I love the movie and I love that both Rosalind Russell and Janet Blair um, redid their roles. And it's interesting because apparently there were a few adaptations um, with the final one in Academy Award theater because it was on screen guild theater too and mm. lux apparently um was after rosalind russell got an oscar nomination she never won one for a role she won one for her, her humanitarian efforts mm. so anyways that's like probably more than you need to know but my sister eileen then i have the may 18th 1946 episode from academy award theater we had come to new york from columbus ohio we meant my typewriter, my ambition to become an author, our hundred dollars, and her ambition to become the Sarah Bernhardt of Broadway. She, here and after, known as her, the blonde bombshell, and other terms of wolf call endearment, was my beautiful sister, Eileen. What I, re what I like about that choice is, like you say, it's light and it's, it's fun. It's also one of those, it's almost like comfort food. That's how I felt when I when I heard it. It's like, well, oh, this is exactly why I like old films. It's like, you know, I just totally. want to be charmed for a while sometimes. <laughs> well, my number five is, uh, this is in order, actually. This is a show called Love Tales it. of Fatima. Have you have you heard it? No. Okay, so get, get this, right? Stars Basil Rathbone as Basil Rathbone. He plays okay. himself in all these adventures for this show called Tales of Fatima. And basically, he's an arrogant, waspish actor called Basil Rathbone, who 
he's in movies and everyone knows him as Sherlock Holmes. And every week, some uh, lady or some mysterious man would turn up and ask him for help with a you know threat or murder or something or like a, a dual robbery or something like this. And Basil Rathbone, the actor, would hop in his car and beat up the villains and then get back to the stage and act in Sherlock Holmes with Nigel Bruce. It's the most meta thing you've ever That's heard in your exactly life. what I was going to say. It's very meta. It's incredible, right? And I could not believe it existed. The best episode that exists is called A Much Expected Murder and it's got women throwing themselves at Basil Rathbone. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and it's got him going, "Oh, please leave me alone, dear. I'm trying. To, I'm an actor, you know, and all this kind of thing. And solving a murder at the same time. It's just brilliant. It's just one of those things you go. I didn't realise that LSD was a thing back in the forties, but obviously it was. <laughs> anyway, it's, I it's a ton of fun. I've never heard of that. So what? Okay. Um, what decade or like when was this? Like was this I in the forties or I, later? But I think it's either very late forties or early fifties. Okay but it's called Tales of Fatima. There's only three episodes that exist at the moment. Oh, but, um, okay. The best one is called A Much Expected Murder. If you, if you want... a limited series there. <laughs> yeah, I think, no, I think there are about 30 episodes made, but they just okay. don't exist, which is a crying shame. But yeah, that's my All first All right, <laughs> that's a deep cut. <laughs> okay, I've definitely never heard of that. Oh, Lavender, I'm glad it's time to go home. I'm tired. A nasty night out, Mr. Rathbone. A wonderful night out to be in bed. Thank goodness nobody wants me to solve any cases. Come in. Yes, sir, what can I do for you? You can drop the case. Drop the case? Or I'll have to drop you with this gun. Mr. Rathbone, I think he means it. Believe me, I do. Will you drop the case? I'd be enchanted, old fellow, except that I I haven't a case to drop, and I'd, I'd much prefer not being killed for something I'm not doing. Mr. Rathbone, you're a very fine actor, but don't play dumb with me. I give you fair warning. Pursue this investigation further and you'll be killed. But, but what's the investigation he's supposed not to pursue? Uh, never mind, Lavender. It's no use. What's no use? We can't fool this gentleman. I'll drop the case. Huh? Now you're being smart, Mr. Rathbone. Just leave Mrs. Dawson alone. Mrs. Dawson? Yes, Lavender, Mrs. Dawson. You remember Mrs. Dawson? Oh, Mrs. Dawson. Just remember... Don't try to help Mrs. Dawson. Good night. Mr. Rathbone, have you been holding out on me? Who's Mrs. Dawson? Lavender, I haven't the faintest idea. Hello? Hello, Mr. Rathbone. This is Mrs. Dawson. Who? Mrs. Dawson. This is Mr. Rathbone, isn't it? I, uh, I think so. Mr. Rathbone, I'm in terrible trouble, and I thought maybe you'd help me. Uh, help you in what way? I can't tell you over the phone, but I live on Upper Lake Road. Could you come out and see me right away, please? It's a matter of life and death. So I understand. My life or death. Oh, no, there's no danger. But if you come, you may be able to keep someone from dying. I I see. Well, in that case, I can hardly refuse, can I? Oh, thank you, Mr. Rath. I'll leave immediately. Okay, so just again, going by alphabetical order, Lux Radio Theater, which I know we both like. I really struggled with this one because there's... I'm just going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say, like I alluded to somebody, I was like, you should listen to everything she's ever done on radio, mm-hmm. which is Lucille Ball. Mm. So I was debating about Dark Corner, which is a good adapta- adaptation of a film. But then I was like, it actually gets darker on my list later. So I went with Midnight, which, you know, okay. I like. Um, is that, was that the um, adaptation of the Mitchell Lyson film? Yes, yes. Oh, and it that. does yeah. it does fit the criteria mostly. It has Colbert, uh, mm-hmm. Claudette Colbert and Don Amici. It's one of my favorite comedies of the golden yes. age. I love Midnight. Yes, and I think it's like with my love of like noir and all, all that mm-hmm. stuff, but that's a big 
big area that we do with our film club. I feel like I need to intersperse some of this light stuff just for mm-hmm. my own uh, <laughs> you know, mental yeah. health there. But like, um, but definitely it's also interesting because it is like a light comedy that kind of starts out to me. I mean, this is my interpretation. Um, it's kind of like anti-romantic because she's like, my parents were poor you know, I'm going to go like, she's a gold digger, but she's like justifying it philosophically. Mm. And then she makes this connection um, with the cabbie and she has to like run away. I mean, it doesn't because she's fit so her. scared of she's being, so, being penniless. And, yeah. She's so scared, but like, that's mm. a, di- I mean, I haven't seen that a lot. And then you show the snobbiness and the meanness of the very bored upper class, which I mean, had a hopper. Oh my gosh. Is mm. it in the film? So, and I think yeah. she's in the, play too so it's all kind of wrapped up as in a little bow we don't know like if like the sequel would be like they're like yelling at each other over you know the the (laughs) the one room apartment or whatever but there is a sweetness to it I like the characters I like how Donna Michi's kind of like uh one up one upping her and Um, in a way too it's just it's it's cute it's a great movie so i guess in these um film adaptations where they don't stray too much i I pick midnight and if i can cheat and have a runner-up dark corner is awesome but i'll just say listen to all of lucille ball stuff such a great film yeah so so either i mean you can go down i mean midnight sounds scary but it's not but dark or you can go down a dark (laughs) corner but lux definitely in terms of the series is worth venturing into so again it's hard to pick one i just definitely try to pick some with with at least the main characters being the original cast just to give myself some criteria from the railroad station comes a lovely creature in a trailing evening gown she's young and beautiful certainly you'd expect her to step into a waiting limousine and be whisked off to the wrist hotel but no this lovely apparition in evening clothes is walking walking in the rain with a dripping newspaper on her head to ward off the stinging drops. The taxicab drivers cannot believe their eyes. Mademoiselle, you wish a taxi? No, thank you. Mademoiselle, you will not walk in this train. Taxi, mademoiselle? No. Get in, mademoiselle. Anywhere in Paris. I said no. Will you leave me alone? To walk on a night like this. Oh, she's she's taxi, mademoiselle, taxi. No. Any place in Paris, mademoiselle? No. Which way are you going? I don't know. I'm walking. Oh, Mademoiselle enjoys the rain, huh? Oh, sure. I'm just mad about it. It feels so good running down my back. Well, then why not ride? Mademoiselle, my taxi is yours. Listen, I don't want it. All right, mister. Here's how things stand. I could have you drive me all around town and then tell you I left my purse home on the grand piano. There's no grand piano, no home. And my purse, 25 centimes with a hole in it. That's what's left of the Peabody State. Oh, you have no money, huh? That's right. I need a taxi to find myself a job, and I need a job to pay for the taxi. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. No taxi, no job, no job, no dinner. Uh. But look, if I do promote one, I'll pay you twice what the meter says, double or nothing. You mean you'll give me the honor of driving you around while you look for a job, huh? That's it. And for that, you'll pay me double? Oh, and a great big daddy tip. Well, that sounds like good business. What do you say? I say no. All right, if that's the way you feel, I was going to walk anyway. Night. That's that's a great pick. And Midnight, of course, last script that Billy Wilder wrote before he became a director, I think. Mm, yeah, I think it's him and Charles Brackett. I think they they realised how good they were. I think they yeah. wanted to break out. I think Major and the Minor was their next one. But Midnight, you can see Billy Wilder all over that thing, especially, as you say, there's always a little bit of hard-bitten um, ignition to his stories, like totally. she's a penniless girl who falls in love yet again with a penniless man. It's like, no, not, not this time. But yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which... 
Um, my number four is from the Screen Director's Playhouse. And the reason I picked this, this is a very odd pick, but I picked it because precisely the opposite reason you just picked. Okay. I love the fact in old time radio, you've got the, these fantasy football castings. <laughs> and sometimes you say, wouldn't it have been great if, you know, James Cagney had been in North by Northwest or something like that? You know, and you think, oh, I wonder what kind of film that would have been. Well, you got the chance to find out now and then. And I think my favourite example of, wow, that's an interesting bit of casting, is when the Screen Director's Playhouse did Shadow of a Doubt from Hitchcock. Oh. But they cast Cary Grant as Uncle Charlie, the psycho killer. And I just thought, wow. It's like he wasn't allowed to be the killer in Suspicion, yet mm-hmm. here he is on radio playing Uncle Charlie, who's you know, murdered all these widows and arguably trying to kill his niece. And it stars him against uh, Betsy Drake, his wife at the time, okay. who plays young Charlie, which is kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little bit ick. Um, But yeah, just for that very reason that I was listening to it all the way through going, this is a really interesting experiment. And it kind of works, you know. He he plays psychopathic and creepy and you wouldn't think of it when it comes to Cary Grant. So I totally agree. It's lovely to have the original cast back, especially for things like when Disney did like Snow White for the Mm -hmm. Lux Radio Theatre and they had all the original cast back and Casablanca. Uh, It's great to have a, a radio version of that. But every now and then they did these really wild cast things and i just thought wow you, shadow of a doubt for me is the one that you stands. win me over like i love joseph mm. cotton in that original one because that's mm. against type and and yeah. so you i totally see what you're saying i could see i haven't listened to to that one um mm. it's the Cary Grant really version, but i could totally because of suspicion i could totally see that too so mm. I think that's a good point because I was like, that film, <laughs> there's something in that milk. I'm not, yeah. sorry, not to give anything <laughs> away. They definitely did like a cobbled version to me of the, yeah. well, but it, it, either way, it's it's an interesting watch, right? I have heard some where I'm like, oh my gosh, this person nailed it. And, and I totally think that that is a valid point of like the what ifs because we like mm. to think about that. And I'm definitely going to listen to that. The Basil Rathbone <laughs> is just like really. <laughs> really sounds outside the box uh for yeah, sure i gotta listen to that but but yeah that's a really good point of giving opportunity which is kind of closer to my point when we get to suspense so we're not okay cool totally in disagreement you want to run home run to your safe little nest run away from me and everything i stand for well what do i stand for do you want me to tell you do you want me to say the word you can't because you don't understand You don't know. There's so much you don't know. You think you're the clever little girl. But you're an ordinary little girl in an ordinary little town. You're safe and secure from everything except stupid dreams. And I brought you those, didn't I? I didn't even know there were men like you in the world. How do you know what the world is like? Do you know that the world is a foul sty? Do you know if you rip the fronts off houses, you'd find swine? The world is a hell! What does it matter? What happens in it? You're sick, Uncle Charlie. You're really sick. Wake up, Charlie. Use your wits. Learn something. I've learned enough to... If my mother knew, it would kill her. Then you love your mother. Okay, so we will get to suspense, but I'm going alphabetically to Mercury Theater. Technically, Mercury Summer Theater, which is also related to Mercury Theater, Campbell's Playhouse, uh, Orson Welles' famous series. Now, you know, I'm a big, I I like Orson Welles' voice, I think. Um, You know, I didn't pick War of the Worlds, which, you know, of course, is historically significant and launched Mm. his career to give him 
opportunities such as Citizen Kane, it's almost like no publicity is bad publicity because people are like, uh... <laughs> You know, people are jumping out of buildings or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so um, definitely he made a splash with that. But I had to also give homage to one of the best writers, Lucille Fletcher. Mm, and so not incredible. pick. Yeah. I mean, don't pick not, sorry, wrong number. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't pick sorry, wrong okay. number, even though I, I like it. But it's but I actually think this one is really bone chilling and and something that could really happen realistically and then i found a little nerdy like uh tidbit when i was researching it too um in terms of adaptations but the cool thing is so the connection here i thought was funny was so sorry wrong number i didn't pick but it was famously played and replayed by agnes moorhead who was a big fan was a friend of orson wells and in his mercury theater so there's like a weird connection there so i don't know if that's how he got this gig or what i also like the character is like a 34 year old unmarried man like who's just like i mean he's just like a different kind of character there's like this he's obviously like anxious and and he's going on this trip and he calls his mom and like you're just like and there's all this stuff going on like he has no comfort it's just like this constant like fear and anxiety and the writing is so wonderful it's it's just you're like wow i wish she i mean i want to i'm trying to find more that she wrote i think the idea of the hitchhiker has been remade in different ways but then i just happened up uh, across a twilight zone 1960s adaptation with a female lead so this pick is the hitchhiker the hitchhiker right. from 1946 which originally starred a a single young man um on this on this trip and obviously um you know i don't know how much we can give away but he's being followed or thinks he's being followed by something and um mm -hmm. it's very in his head very psychological but then in the tv show um you yeah you have a woman which is interesting because a woman on her own traveling and this car has a whole other set of implications potentially and mm. I thought that and it's and it's good it's not exactly the same but it's interesting this kind of maybe for people venturing into otr um mm. old-time radio or like can see that it can spark adaptations or ideas that may or may not be credited i mean it is in this case but also sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and mm. And what, what are the decisions that they make when they change things up a bit? It's like, okay, what are we saying here? And what would we, what are the things she would have to keep in mind as she's encountering the situation? So I, I, I like that. And it is one of Orson's best because it's just, it just has that voice and that, like he just, his tone. I think that again, I've said that at other, our meeting is that I just think that was his best medium. That's a great pick. I didn't realize there was a, a radio version of that story. And I remember seeing that on Twilight Zone and being really freaked out by it, so that's a great one. I was in excellent spirits. Drive ahead. Even the loneliness seemed like a lark. But I reckoned without him. Crossing Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. He stepped off the walk, and if I hadn't swerved, if I hadn't swerved, I'd have hit him. I almost did. 
almost did hit him. Now, I would have forgotten him completely, except that just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, I saw him again. At least he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb, pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he'd got there, but I thought maybe one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beat me to the Skyway, and let him off. I didn't stop for him. Then... Late that night, I saw him again. Oh, I'm very excited about listening to The Hitchhiker. In fact, I have a car journey coming up later on today, so I'm going to make sure I rack that one up. So thank you very much. I'm very excited. Sure, <laughs> that's one. very brave to listen to that one on the road. But I <laughs> on know my own. <laughs> I know no, you are. I'm a thrill seeker, Lily. You are definitely <laughs> a thrill seeker and a, and a super cool person, as we learned. <laughs> Stab it. Well, you're the, you're the librarian, so I think that makes you cooler. Um, thank you. That's not usually what people say with my profession, but you are special Well. In Britain, you're, you'd be regarded as a deity. Nice. So, yes. Well, talking of studious people, my mm-hmm. number three is um, a show that's all about wordplay and colleges and how being uh, smart can um, sometimes be better than being strong and mm-hmm. the different strengths in which that intelligence endows you with, And which wasn't a very intelligent way of saying that. But, um, it's from The Halls of Ivy. Do you like The Halls of Ivy? You know, I've only listened to a little bit of one, mm-hmm. but I did I did like it. I did want to venture into it as someone who is immersed in academia. Well, Halls of Ivy is one of these shows where it's a college professor. He has an ex-actress wife uh, and they they're basically it's the adventures of what happens to them in the college he's always being put on by the board he's always trying to find money um he's a very clever urbane man played by ronald coleman and his real life wife benita coleman it's just a really lovely intelligent show it's very funny if you like wordplay it's it's lovely for that it's romantic but the great thing is that it really tackles some great social issues and this was made just after the war. So you had shows about students falling pregnant and you had shows about, you know, a Japanese student who comes and is racially attacked by other students and ends up going home. So it's, you know, he has to tell the students why it's wrong. You have things like returning soldiers who have come to the university and how they deal with trauma and things like that. But then again, it's really funny as well. It's not like it batters you over the head. They just sure. very cleverly implant these ideas into the scripts. And by the end, you're sort of weeping as you're laughing. It's like, Whoa. It's the most human show. It's like absolutely top three show for me. It's it's just an amazing achievement. You have totally sold it. I mean, when you when you have a student <laughs> population, you have veterans, mm. you have people who are struggling yeah. with economic um, situations that make it hard to pursue their studies. So I didn't know it was, honestly, I listened to like very little <laughs> of it. It was on my list to listen to. So this month is, you know, Asian Pacific Islander, Desi American mm. Heritage Month. So we've been looking at um, you know, with our group, we usually like to do films uh, that kind of honor different groups and ethnicities. And and so we've been talking about that a lot. And now I'm like, I, I've, I've heard specific old time radio shows um, talk about that, particularly like, like at the time of like Japanese internment camps and stuff, mm. but they're hard to find. So I'll mm. definitely seek out some of those. That was, um, I knew you liked that one, but I didn't, I didn't really think about the populations that the, the academics are working with. So that's really interesting. Mm. Well, the episode I've picked actually, it would be a good one to start with. It's called the Leslie Hoff painting. 
uh, the college is in trouble. It usually is. They always need money, basically, and donations, and they're always soliciting these, you know, rich people for for money. Uh, it just so happens that a lady is coming to donate half a million dollars, which was, you know, king's ransom in those days, to the university to so they can fund, you know, the next semester or whatever it is. And she's arriving in the afternoon, basically, to, to give this endowment to Professor Hall. That's his name. Um, and he gets the orders. No matter what she wants, you give it to her. There is one stipulation, mm. but we'll let her tell you what that is. In the background to that, uh, one of his students, called Leslie Hoff, has painted this incredible painting of a soldier. And uh, it's won a prize. Prize, and he's been honoured with this endowment, this prize. So this student has been asked to also come over in the afternoon. Anyway, so the lady turns up first. She says, um, I have this endowment. It's half a million dollars. Um, I really want to do it because I've seen this painting that this boy of yours has painted. And the man in the painting, it's called My Buddy. And it's a man in a trench, basically, in the war. Um, his face is sort of obscured by shadows. She said, it's my son. And this boy who's painted my son... I was so impressed and so deeply moved at seeing my son, who died in the war, that I want to give the college this money because you're obviously bringing up your students, right? And they're like, oh, thank you very much. She says, I have one condition, and that is that the money I give you must not in any way be used to help or benefit anyone of colour. Dr. Hall, I believe that the young man who made this portrait really knew my son, possessed a knowledge about him that his own mother never had. Well, there are few friendships as strong as those founded on great dangers shared. And I imagine you'd like to meet Leslie Hoff. <clears throat> well, I've given that much thought, Mrs. Hall. I believe now that I should like to meet him. Well, splendid, because he's coming here this afternoon. Oh, but... Well, I wish I'd known. I I'm afraid it'll be difficult. Oh, probably not as difficult as you think, Mrs. Marshall. Surely there must have been a great bond between Jean and Leslie Hoff. I think it will give you a good deal of, of satisfaction to meet him. Yes, but let's get to the point of the endowment, Dr. Hall. It's not a thing I care to discuss in front of others. No, of course it isn't. I find that reticence in these matters is not unusual, Mrs. Marshall. I came prepared to write a check for $500,000 in the name of Ivy College. Oh, William, isn't that wonderful? If one condition can be agreed upon, Dr. Hall... What is that condition? My money must absolutely not be used to provide scholarships for... Well, for certain races and creeds. Oh, no. There's this beautiful moment, actually, where Benite, Benice Coleman just says... She just, she just kind of... Her voice falls and she says, Oh, no. Like that. And you can just... It's like a really awful moment. And Professor Hall says, well, in that case, then, as much as we need the money, we can't accept it. And he gives this beautiful response as to stands against everything that your son fought for. You know, this is what he went to war for and died for. And and yet I can't believe that you would not want any human being to benefit from it. I'm sure that Ivy College can find use for my money in such a way as not to violate the terms of acceptance. Isn't that so, Dr. Hall? Uh, No, Mrs. Marshall, it isn't. I cannot accept it under the conditions you impose. You... I beg your pardon? Even if I were inclined to close my eyes and my ears and my mind to your stipulation, which I am not, the founding fathers of this college would rise in righteous anger. The cornerstone of this institution was laid when this nation was young when the concept of personal freedom and individual integrity was fiercely defended and willingly died for. It is the principle with which this school was inaugurated. 
That principle is not for sale, Mrs. Marshall. Not even for half a million dollars. Then there's a knock on the door. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Doctor. I, I'm Leslie Hoff. Well, come in. Come in. I'm glad to see you. And congratulations on a fine piece of work. Ivy's proud of you, and so am I. Well, thank you, Doctor. Uh, do you have company? Am I interrupting? Oh, no, 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 not at all. In fact, I'm extremely happy you're here. Our guest is someone I know you'll want to meet. Jean Marshall's mother. Come with me, Leslie. I want to introduce you to the, um, uh, the boy's mother. If you don't mind, sir, I, I'd rather not. Well, why not? Well, the boy, Gene, uh, uh, did you say? Uh-huh. Talked a lot about his mother. I, I think it would only upset her to know that I was her son's friend. Well, of course, that's up to you, Leslie, but, um, if you'll trust my judgment, I think it would be the wisest thing you ever did. All right, if you say so, Dr. Hall. Let's go. Good, good. Come on, follow me. Uh, Victoria, this is Leslie Hart. Hello. Uh, my wife, Leslie, and this is Mrs. Marshall, Jean's mother. You? You are Leslie Hoff. When we spoke earlier today on the phone, Leslie, I, I didn't have a chance to tell you how terribly proud we were to hear of your award and how much we liked the painting. It's superb. Well, I'm pleased that you like it, Mrs. Hall. Mrs. Marshall, I value your opinion, too. Well, please don't hesitate to be frank. How long did you know my son? Well, just one night, ma'am. One long, long night. It was during a raid. We were both running for cover. We hit the same foxhole. You... You only knew him one night? There are times during a war, Mrs. Marshall, when one night can be as long as eternity. I won't spoil what happens at the end, but uh, it's, it's really moving. It's really funny. It's, and it, honestly, it's so enlightening, especially for that period where you imagine that everyone was you know, so unenlightened. And obviously, you know, places of thought, schools of thought, there were more enlightened people and they were trying to push for a better world. And it's one of those rare examples of all-time radio. <laughs> There's so much in this 30-minute sitcom. It's got some beautiful messages in it. Anyway, I that's my number three floored. pick. I am floored because even the ones that I, I know we, we kind of talked about, I'm ashamed I didn't go back and really listen to them. Oh, no, no, no. Because, no, like, yeah, it's oh, a my great gosh, series. this is not at all what I had. That is so interesting that they, you know, are kind of maybe framing these social issues within this just mm. academic culture. Like, that is fascinating. And that sounds like a perfect recommendation. I'm, like, making my little notes here for sure. Well, same. <laughs> awesome. Go for it anyway. What's your number two? Okay, so, uh, you know, I was revising this list, and I will say that I definitely like their specific actors. They move me not just in the way that they portray, you know, certain characters, but the way they carry themselves or how they like the stands they took at the time of a segregated, uh, you know, Hollywood and all of that. And so I will say first, I'll get to the, the one that made the 11th hour cut because of that. But first, I already mentioned this. Um, we we nerded out about this. We talked about this at the last one, but of the Lucille Ball 
suspense episodes, the chilling. I was gonna pick Dime a Dance if that's mm-hmm. what you were you were thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's about. what I was thinking. It's gonna be Dime a Dance. Uh, yeah, no I, little piece of rope is brilliant. I'm so so di- so I had like I'm gonna lump them again. I'm not trying to cheat, but like I thought of like Lucille Ball as the reluctant killer catcher in two episodes, and then a con woman in danger in the third. And the mm-hmm. killer catcher would be the um, Dime a Dance. And uh, I think Lord was one of them or something. This is the thing I, I, I try to look at for suspense was against type. So, and and also I tried to think of some original, since I had some films, some original, this is definitely, it seems very original, very ominous, and it's interesting. Very bleak as well, isn't it? Very bleak. I didn't pick the Mm. 10 hours by Crawford, which (laughs) is a really tough listen. I know we talked about that last time, but it's also interesting that this is a woman, in a way, she has no one to go to. Like, she can't go to the police because uh, um, she thinks they won't believe her. They're actually annoyed that people are like saying this is uh, like reporting the killer. They were like, it's just really like interesting. You know, there's like almost no avenue. And then she has this extreme idea of how to preserve herself. I knew that would get him because it sounded like blackmail. And by pretending to fall for a shakedown, he'd hope to get close enough to kill me. Only it was going to be the other way around. And so our strange correspondence began. He answered right away. Slugger, interested in authors. Send detail, box 047M298, Rice. I had him hooked. I didn't lose any time writing. Dear Mr. Rice, I have an invention which I think you'll want for your... Robot. It's expensive, but remember, it's completely silent. And yours exclusively, if we agree on terms. Signed, Slugger. Mm-hmm. Completely silent. <laughs> Delicious. And expensive. It's worth saying quickly just yeah. what the story setup is because sure. this one is is what it's one of the more one when you describe the storyline to someone they go what what back yeah. in the forties are you yeah. they can't have put that in the radio so basically she is a young looking lady isn't she mm-hmm. so she what she does she has this scam where she disguises herself as a schoolgirl yeah. and then picks up paedophiles basically yeah um or, or guys that like them very young mm-hmm. um gets in the car takes them to some remote spot and they think they're gonna get with this what they think is yeah. a young girl then she slugs them out takes their money and, and she says they never come after me because what they're gonna do say they took a young girl to the forest yeah. she's going along and making all this money and then the guy that she slugs turns out he has a little piece of rope it turns out that he's this serial killer that the police have been looking for as well and then it becomes this cat and mouse game she can't go to the police because she will have to admit she was doing this scam where she was picking up paedophiles yeah and um he can't go to the police because obviously he's serious so it's like they have to sort of hunt each other it's really yes good. and and that's that's also the thing is like a kind of dirty open secret of like mm. you know infantilizing women yeah. and girls and um so there is like this really like it's almost like that cynical like okay well 
I have a baby face. I can't make it in Hollywood. Um, mm. I'm going to be I'm going to pick bait. up old men. But I'm going <laughs> to yeah. be bait. Like, she makes herself mm. bait. I mean, she has, like, almost this uh, surreal sense of bravery and ridiculous. What, She's, like, like, very cynical, isn't she? Very yeah. cynical, which you don't think of as Lucille Ball. <clears throat> so it also mm. shows her acting chops, but also... Again, like thinking of um, women in 2022. Yeah, and no, totally. men's views of them or yeah. how we navigate mm. the world, I think. And it is definitely, unfortunately, I don't know about her, the action that she takes, but there's definitely like this ominous sense that you're like, mm. This could happen whether you like it or not. Like that, yeah. You look young. You like she wears like uniforms and she wears like, the school uniform and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I think I had mentioned, Joe, you were you're very complimentary about our my profession, <laughs> but like you know, we had <laughs> joked about how like you know makes herself less attractive as Annie Sprout, I think is her name, as a librarian mm. to get a second apartment <laughs> to lure him. But it's definitely like also one of those stories, which I think are good hearing where you're like, I mean, I guess you know who to root for, but they also don't make her so desirable no. um, and sympathetic. She's not, yeah, she's not sympathetic. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. So it's really challenging, which again, mm. Lucille Ball, queen of like screwball and network television doing this role <laughs> and doing it so good well, just mm. kind of emphasizes how underrated she is. Is, as an actress if they'd have made this into a horror movie mm-hmm. back in the day it would have been incredible but they couldn't have done because it goes against the code i mean the ending of the story as well is is so like you think oh I, i'm not going to give it away but my god it's a bleak ending isn't it it is really <laughs> it doesn't bleak. work out the it's way the, you, it's yeah. definitely this the darkest so dark. um hmm. one but i thought like again a categorizing the other two where she's like i wouldn't even say like a his girl like the friday she's like the one that's that has that motivation to go to really be brave like oh yeah i'll be a cop like you know and yeah. Lord, or, or a dime a dance <laughs> oh okay sure there's people strangling people and this cop's telling me to put myself in like like totally like she she makes herself bait in a different way like she's mm. she's she's there's gonna be a cop or somebody who comes in right like she has that yeah. backup she has no safety net in this story nothing at all she's completely on her own yeah so like tense so i mean you're like mm. who has that so yeah so this is definitely i went with with the um most horrific of them that was just i mean there's so many more i could pick but that was one of lucille ball's most surprising I- take the exclusive gents for all they've got and give absolutely nothing that's how i made good in hollywood up to a thousand dollars a month good i just take a little walk i've got uniforms for all the best schools and i still have the baby face so help me, lots of those kids look older than I do. When school's out, I let some old wolf pick me up. They always want to park up in the hills or some other lonely place. I drop my compact. He bends over to pick it up. I let him have it with a special little blackjack I carry. 
My number two on my list, my second favourite radio play ever, is from Quiet Please, which is um, like one of the most blood-curdling shows ever. I've picked the thing on the four-ball board. Have you heard that one? I heard it on your show, and I think right. it's the at least the top two most horrifying things. I thought yeah, you might pick that in, one, but I was like... It's so scary. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's one of those shows you can't believe. Again, you go... How did they get this onto the radio? For those of you who don't have never heard it, it is on one of the Attaboy Clarence episodes. But basically, it's about a guy who's mining and um, he unearths something in the earth. Um, and it turns out to be this God, it's like prehistoric primal spider monster creature thing that gets out of the earth. And I, I mean, I won't spoil what happens because half yeah. of it is all about the sound design, the active yes. performances. It ends with one of the most chillingly terrifying <laughs> moments ever um especially if you've got the sound up and the lights off and it's one of those things as well the way they describe the the thing on the football mm-hmm. board is so terrifying for the mind i mean i can picture it that creature now especially in the final moments of that thing where it comes for the listener shall we say it's one of the most chilling moments ever. It's like, what? This yeah. is really, it's a lot. It's really intense. But anyway, I won't harp on it because it needs to be listened to. It's not really something you can describe. But the thing on the fourball board definitely made me to go. Whoa. I think that's a, <laughs> that. That would be if I if I did go into like the quiet please for sure. That is hmm. really horrifying. I think the sound effects. I think the visuals that you get. Like that's one yeah. I would want. I want to keep my eyes open because yeah. <laughs> the way it it's, is. It's, it just it makes you go yeah. behind yourself yeah. all the time. And it, I I would not have known about that series or that one or that particular episode if if it wasn't for Attaboy Clarence. And I was just oh, like, bless you. <laughs> I, that was all you for better or worse. I think like I definitely was a little perturbed, like, oh, my gosh, like, <sighs> like you know, like going to keep the lights on for a bit. But that is just mm. horror storytelling. Like, and I think I wonder if that one could be made into a film or if it would Ooh, the special effects would be too complicated. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think seeing it through sound makes it scarier, especially as well, because yeah. um, you there's this framing device basically where he's telling you the story of what happened at the beginning. And then at the end of the of the play, it basically comes back to the framing device and he finishes his story. And as as he finishes, that's the bit. It's sort of the 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 play breaks the fourth wall and the monster kind of comes for you as the listener. And I don't know how you'd replicate that. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, but yes, that is an awesome pick. I hundred percent endorse that. Just thank you. Lily. It is. It is. So I don't, I really can't think of anything scarier than that one off, off the top mm. of my head. I discovered many things about it, what it used for food, that it was deaf, that it was invisible and couldn't see people when it was invisible. That if you sprayed it with mud or paint or grease paint, makeup, then it could see people. And believe me, I didn't want to see its body. I can see that in my nightmares. But its face. I can't help wanting to see that pathetic little girl face. I'm afraid maybe I've fallen. Ah, but it's very beautiful. And when it's well made up, it's... But making it up, rubbing grease paint on a stone face that looks at you and smiles and it makes sounds like a lost kitten yet. I can disguise the body in long dresses, 
She can't hear very well, and when she's hungry, I have to stay out of her way. I found out what she likes to eat, remember? No, no, sit still. Sit still, do. Sit still or I'll have to shoot you. I want you to meet my wife. Or rather, my wife wants to meet you. Mike. Mike. There she is. Come on in, dear. I'm very excited to find out what your number one is. Well, or my last pick, because well, yeah, I did do alphabetical order. Um, but uh, and then this was one I was changing, and I had <laughs> Screen Directors Guild. Like I had all of these other ones, but I had to go with another suspense. And it is somebody that I absolutely admire, and people need to appreciate her now because at 104 years old. Marsha Hunt, amazing with us. goddess, like activist, <laughs> amazing person, underrated mm. actress, blacklisted, um, basically, honestly, for being liberal, like she, they really couldn't track anything but her and her husband that, um, you know, just destroyed her ability to continue on with films um played against type in this suspense show called pink camellias have you heard this one i probably have i can't call it to mind but but please do tell me what the story is because um it will no doubt come taxiing its way back to me as soon as you start so totally plays against type it's from 19 mm. december 27 1945 mm-hmm. and um while she she is this uh you know, I guess ward or whatever. She's a niece of a verbally abused aunt. And nice. I think like her spinster aunts and villainous aunts are a, are a stereotype in film. Uh, too. So, I mean, it brought to mind things like, you know, you know, for me, I have these weird connections that may or may not be quite there, but like strange love of Martha Ivers, the aunt in mm. that super mean. And you have this like, you know, niece that is totally dependent but there's so much, it's almost like what brings you to the breaking point when you're constantly, you know, brought down, verbally abused as well. Um, but it's also like a delicious kind of like revenge tale, like if you just kind of go with it. And she is, yeah, she is just, she has an opportunity when this man shows up to get her aunt out of the way. Um I don't want to give up too much, but then there's like, it's kind of like a cat and mouse with her and this man um, who's like a cousin, but not really. But I think, you know, there's a twist. So we, we know that with some of these, there's there's a twist. So mm-hmm. um, I think that it's worth listening to because you totally believe that sweet, gorgeous, like, you know, she was known as like, known for her like the way she just like carried herself, her dresses, but also was just like a woman of substance and caring and activism and all of this stuff, like all these things you know about her. And she's just like, her tone 
moon just like tr she just transforms so i went ahead and and went with that there are other actors like that like robert young and people who like play against mm -hmm. like their their wholesome type or whatever that were like i was listening to i was like oh these are interesting but marcia hunt is an american treasure i'm gonna say and i yeah. think she is so underrated and uh yeah like this is just an interesting journey into a woman who is like at the breaking point but also again there's a twist so pink camellias neil noticed the change in me the new confidence in myself he was fascinated he was afraid of me and yet he had to be with me he was weak neil was he was too weak to do his own murder but I was strong enough. See, I'm glad you bolstered the suspense um, pack yeah. for us both because uh, I feel bad now. I didn't take any suspense. No, I love your... this. I you you, mm. you totally like. I I I do believe you have a better repertoire of like a variety of shows. I think I kind of stuck to a few. Um, this is good. You, I mean, it's good. This you is nothing but quality. Well, we'll see what people say. They might be like, mm, not for me. <laughs> The other thing about these shows is that sometimes the intros have these really interesting, like, you know, America at time of war um, and like these kind of social announcements and things that are very. Yeah, there's a Lux, uh, Lux episode where they report on Amelia Earhart going missing. Somewhere in a distant corner of the South Pacific is Miss Amelia Earhart, who had planned at this moment to be on the stage of the Lux Radio Theater. I know everyone hearing me now joins in our hope that the rescuers of Miss Earhart and her navigator, Fred Noonan, will reach them swiftly and find them safe. I've just spoken with George Palmer Putman, husband of Miss Earhart in Oakland. Considerably more encouraged than he was yesterday, Mr. Putnam says that after a careful check of all reports, he believes the flyers are on land. He adds that they have adequate supplies which should last Miss Earhart and Captain Noonan until the arrival of rescue ships or planes. Um, well, my top pick is very personal to me. It's not not any kind of uh, artistic achievement, and it's the radio play I have listened to most uh, across my vast <laughs> old-time radio listening career. In fact, I'm going to let you in on something. It's the one I put on at bedtime to get me off to sleep because it's mm -hmm. that much comfort. It's Ronald Coleman again. It's Screen Director's Playhouse version of The Prisoner of Zender, and it's not one I could say you'll love, but it's very hammy. It's got Benita Coleman again, and it's just swashbuckling, romantic, funny, fun. And it's just, it's beautifully made, beautifully produced. And I couldn't say it off, but I know the script off my heart. So yeah. It's so insane how many times I've listened to it. But I don't know, it's something about home for it for me. As I say, it's not um, as terrifying as the thing on the forward board. It's not as dramatic <laughs> as the Leslie Hoff painting or anything like that. It's not as inventive as The Shadow of a Doubt with Cary Grant. And it's not as meta as Tales of Fatima with Basil Rathbone, but there's something about it that I just love. It's like old Hollywood in 30 minutes. If you had to sum it up, yeah. Prisoner of Zender with uh, Ronald Coleman for the Screen Director's Playhouse. I don't know what it is. It's just a little bit magical. I'm Rudolph Rasendil, travelling from England. And not so long ago in the service of Her Majesty the Queen. Rasendil! <laughs> of course. You appear to know me or know of me. I am Colonel Sapt in the service of His Majesty Rudolph V, King of Ruritania. And you are Rudolph Rassendil, the king's distant cousin. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't have believed it. Oh, it's quite a fact. Oh, no, no, no. Your resemblance to the king. Hmm. You could do it. Do what? Shave. 
What? Pretend to be the king. Nonsense. King Rudolph is at this moment in his hunting lodge in these woods, drunk as usual, and I fear drugged by his enemies. If he isn't at his coronation tomorrow, his brother Michael will seize the throne. You must prevent that. It's unthinkable. A kingdom at stake and a throne in the balance. Nevertheless, my dear colonel, I'm here on a fishing trip. (sighs) And Black Michael sits tomorrow on the throne and the king lies in prison or his grave. Is as bad as all that? Believe me, Rassendorf. Well, after all, it, it would be only for a day. And the next day, you'll be safely across the border. King for a day. Ah, yeah, it'd be quite an adventure, wouldn't it? We always think of kids doing this, but I think adults do this too. It's where you go back and watch something that you're familiar with, and there's some comfort mm. to that. So I wonder it's if... It's like a like, safety blanket, yeah. Yeah, I totally. mean, you know, an adult, cool safety blanket. That was yeah, something definitely that you, cool. <laughs> well, you know what's going to happen, and you know... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and gosh, Ronald Coleman has a great voice, too. Mm. So, yeah, like, maybe really there's does. just something about that, too. But I think that's lovely. I think that not everything has to be about creatures from prehistoric eras coming after you <laughs> or, uh, or um, murderers and con women and, you know, try to, <laughs> trying to, you know, one-up each other or super sticky romantic comedies or whatever. Like, I think in your, your choices, you have a good variety, too too of like different moods and um and how just any art can be meaningful to you in a way that maybe it's hard to understand and i don't think that one's not a pop i i feel like that was a popular movie or something oh yeah it was a massive movie so, yeah. Um, very, yeah very popular but yeah anyway it's cool. very very personal to me it's not the it's not the greatest produced episode or anything but it's just i love it so yeah that's i got my you one. They were fabulous picks, and thank you so much for coming on. You're going to have to come back and do a part two of Old Time Radio because there's something about talking to you that just gets me all fired up and wanting to down go to archive.org and download every show again and, and uh, listen to them all. So, Same. Um, oh, my gosh. We need, and to, I have we need some, to make more radio fans. I, I hope so. Or even just, like, yeah, run things by each other. I just learned so much from you. And definitely the series <laughs> that some of them that you mentioned, like, mm-hmm. um, I need to go back and, like, really venture into those because I think it's hard to like I have some out like some go-tos but I really should probably venture into like some like I'm now I'm super curious about Halls of Ivy that is not oh my god it's not my impression of of, of those (laughs) stories so I think part of this is just sharing um you've done the work so you're like sharing like oh well there's this episode (laughs) or this this and um so I really appreciate you Adam um you're so good you're such a creative artist (laughs) I really appreciate your time I'm so glad you came and I'm so sorry it took so long and and we're definitely going to have to do this more regularly so um yeah i hope so so. well and thank (laughs) thank you so much for having me on here it was it was great fun The summer wind came blowing in from across the sea It lingered there to touch your hair 
and walk with me all summer long we sang a song and then we strolled that golden sand two sweethearts and the summer wind like painted kites those days and nights they went flying by the world was new beneath a blue umbrella sky then softer than a piper man one day it called to you I lost you I lost you to the summer wind the autumn wind Gorgeous, that was Frank Sinatra with Summer Wind to keep you warm and my thanks once again to the marvellous Lily Raymond for her company and her expertise when it comes to the magical world of old-time radio. Well, the great thing about making this show is that I've already had the chance to play you most of my favourite episodes, so for today's radio entertainment, I've decided to play one of Lily's choices for you. Straight from the Academy Award Theatre, we're in the company of Rosalind Russell and Janet Blair in their original roles as the Sunny Sisters from a rural town trying to make it big in NYC. Ladies and gentlemen, Rosalind Russell and Janet Blair in My Sister Eileen. The House of Squibb, manufacturing chemist to the medical profession since 1858, brings you Academy Awards. The pictures, the players, the techniques and skills which have won or been nominated for the coveted awards granted each year by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to each in his field for outstanding achievement. The House of Squibb, makers of the great family of Squibb medicinal products, brings you the Columbia picture, My Sister Eileen, starring Rosalind Russell and Janet Blair, who will play the same roles they created for the screen, and in which Miss Russell was nominated for the 1942 Academy Award. 
it was the two babes from the woods walked hand in hand into Greenwich Village in search of fame, fortune, and a room. We had come to New York from Columbus, Ohio. We meant my typewriter, my ambition to become an author, our hundred dollars, and her ambition to become the Sarah Bernhardt of Broadway. She, here and after, known as her, the blonde bombshell, and other terms of wolf call endearment, was my beautiful sister, Eileen. Whenever I think of those days in Greenwich Village, I hear loud noises like this. What? What was that? What was what? That noise, Mr. Apopoulos. The whole room shook. That shows you how you will get used to it. I didn't even notice it. Get used to it? You mean it happens all the time? You won't even be conscious of it. A little blasting, the new subway they're digging below. You mean they're blasting right underneath us? What are you worrying about? Those engineers know how much dynamite to use. But does it go on all the time? No. They knock off at midnight and they don't start again until six in the morning. Six in the morning? Oh, we can't stay here, Ruth. Listen. In New York, you either live A, over a subway, or B, where they're building a subway, or you don't live in New York. Stop double-talking and give us our rent money back. What are you getting hysterical about? I said I would give you your money back, and I will, if at the end of the month you are still dissatisfied. Good night, ladies. Sleep tight. Oh, Ruth. What are we going to do? Do? We're going to do 30 days in this dump, Eileen. Shall I put out the lights now? Yes, put them out. All right. Ruth, I just put out the lights, but it's still light. Hmm? Oh, so it is. Oh, there's a lamppost right in front of the window. Well, then pull the shade down. There isn't any shade. No shade? Oh, but Ruth... In this basement room, we're practically sleeping in the street. Just wait till I get that Apopolis boy. Oh, what my hat my gandy would give for this bed. Would it help any to close the window, Ruth? Uh, if we do, we'll suffocate. Dolly, I'm afraid, Ruth. You know, a, a dog could chase a cat down here. And probably will. Oh, well, let's go to sleep. Maybe we can forget. All right. Good night, Ruth. Good night, Eileen. Sleep tight. I say I'm not going back, and that's all. <laughs> Why not? Well, they'll suck us for another cover charge. No, they won't. Listen. You can take both of those dames and... You go away from there, you you drunken loafers. Hold A dame. Look, a dame down there in the window. You go away from there or we'll call the police. Another dame. Hey, look, Pete, there's two dames. One for you, two. And you go away. That one's mine. Okay. Mine ain't so bad. You get away from here. Hello, cutie. Go away, go away, go away! I'm fit as a fiddle, as a ready for love. Oh, Ruth, 
close the window. Me close the window? No, no, you don't do it, Ruthie. I'd rather see her close it. Oh, Ruth, please. Leave me in. I'll close it. Come on, honey. Come to Papa. You take your hands out of here. I'll bust them off. Here, here. What's going on here? Come on, break it up. Break it up. Oh, we're just for social visitors. We was just going tonight. Go on. Get out of here. Go on. Oh, I'm awfully glad you came, officer. Yeah, I'll bet you are. Oh, officer, do you think you could do something about that lamppost? It shines right in here. Sure. I'll put a shade on it. Say, ain't you new in this neighborhood? We just moved in today. Well, if you're smart, you'll move out tomorrow. I'm particular what goes on on my beat. I'm warning you. Did you... Did you hear what he said, Eileen? Yes. Yes, I did, Ruth. I'm afraid. Move over, darling. I'm getting in bed with you. Now, don't worry, dear. Everything's going to be all right. It's just different in this town, that's all. It's just New York. And that was the beginning of our new life in New York, in a one-room basement apartment in Greenwich Village. But life couldn't go on all night. There had to come dawn and the search for work. I went uptown to see the editor of a magazine, and while I was sitting with my manuscript in the reception room, a door slammed open, and he should come out with a wild look in his eye, but Mr. Baker. Can you read? Huh? Oh, uh, of course I can read. Do you read? Yeah, and write, yes. Never mind writing. Everybody writes in New York, even people who can't read. Well, I happen to be from Columbus. That's very interesting. Now, think carefully. Have you ever read our magazine, The Man Hatter? Well, not for some time. Good. Come with me. What the... What's this? Mr. Craven, meet Miss... What's your name? Miss Sherwood. Ruth Sherwood. Miss Sherwood. She can read. From Columbus, Ohio. Miss Sherwood, in your time, you have read The Man Hatter. Is that true? Yes. Do you like it? No. Good. Wait a minute. Who is this girl? Miss Sherwood of Columbus. What's the difference? A lot of difference, my clever friend. What's she doing here? Where did you find her? Outside, sitting down. I asked what she was doing there. Miss Sherwood, the gentleman is trying to make a point of some kind. Tell him. Tell us all. What were you doing out there? I, uh, I was trying to submit a manuscript. That's all I want to know. Good day, Miss Columbus. Mr. Baker can pay you off outside. Get out. I certainly will. I've had a hard day. Hard day. <laughs> Egods, that's what I thought until I got back to that air conditioned packing case we called home. Yes? Ah, hello. Hello. Oh, you're the new girls, huh? Well, my name's Loomis. My wife and I live upstairs. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Loomis? Oh, leave out the mister. Call me Wreck. Wreck? Yeah, that's what they called me at Georgia Tech. Hey, is your sister home? Oh, I, I expect her any minute. Good. My wife and I want to talk something over with you. Oh. oh spaghetti and meatballs, huh? I smelled them coming past yesterday. Oh, yes. They taste a lot better the second day. Hey, watch me tackle that mistake, you dummy. Oh, you're a 
football player, Mr. Red. Yeah, yeah. When I'm in season, yeah. Well, hello. Oh, company, Eileen? Oh, no, Ruth. Uh, this is the wreck. Physically or mentally? <laughs> You're Eileen's sister, huh? I live upstairs with my wife, see? Now, look. Helen's mother's coming to visit her, which straight arms me right out into the alley. Well, haven't you enough room? Oh, we could make room, only you see she doesn't know we're married, and Helen's afraid to tell on account of I'm not working now. But I start working as soon as the professional football season opens, and in the meantime, we thought you wouldn't mind putting me up in your kitchen. Why, sure. Uh, you mean sleep in our kitchen? Sure, sure, why not? I'm a handy guy to have around in case something happens anyway. Well, thanks, girls, you don't know how much you're helping us. I'll get myself together right away. Something tells me, Eileen, you weren't quite ready to leave Columbus. Now what? Oh, that must be Frank. Who? Frank Lippincott. He works at the soda counter in the drugstore. I met him today, Ruth, and he gave me my lunch for nothing. <laughs> Please be very nice, Ruth. Well, what am I? Tugboat Annie? Come in. Well, here I... Oh. Oh, gee, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know there was a... I guess you're Eileen's sister. I can see a resemblance, all right. Why, well, I'm very flattered. Of course, you're a different type. Yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> Sit down, Mr. Lippincott. Eileen's been telling me about your drugstore. Has she? Oh, gee, it's a nice drugstore. Mm, I'm sure it is. Oh. Oh, hello, Eileen. Hello, Frank. I brought you something. It's California red wine. I thought it'd go good with the spaghetti. It's a special we're running this week. Those are spaghetti. Huh? Oh, I, I, I bet you're famished, Frank. Dinner's almost ready. Oh, here we go again. Come in. I'm looking for a party uh, called Sherwood. Eleanor Sherwood? You mean Eileen. Oh, yeah. Well, hello there, honey. Why, Chick. Oh, Ruth, honey, this is Chick. He's a reporter. He he interviewed me today. You had a busy day, Eileen. <laughs> Hot, isn't it? Yeah, but you'll cool off. <laughs> Are you staying for dinner, Mr. Uh... I'll stick around. Uh, what's that stuff? Why, that's a gift from Mr. Lippincott. Wine, I believe. Well, let's have some. I'll pour. Oh, thank you, dear. Perhaps we should ice the wine. Oh, no, no. It should be served at room temperature. Yeah. Well, then you better cook it for a couple of hours. <laughs> Why don't you come back when the new subway's finished? We expect a draft in here all day long. Well, here's to... To Eileen. Yeah. To you, gorgeous. <laughs> Don't mind me. We don't. Good Lord, what was that? Relax, relax. It's only the subway. Oh, lay off me, you big Oh, here we go. I forgot about the wreck. Oh, let go of me, you big slug. What were you doing running out in that alley in your nightshirt? Will you tell this clown I'm okay? Yes, he's all right, I hope. Oh, yes, he's just the, just the wreck. The what? I found him out in the alley with all those bedclothes. I think he's some kind of a fiend. You're crazy. I'm going to live here. Live here? In the kitchen. It's all right, officer. We know him. Oh, it's you two. I thought I warned you to move out of my beat. How dare Wait you? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
Officer, I don't know what you think, but if it's what I think you yes, think... Yes, see here, officer. And who do you think you are? I'll tell you who I stop am. Stop it. Never mind who anybody is. What difference does it make? Anybody walks in here. Everybody walks in here. You know, for a place with a bad location and no neon sign, we're doing a whale of a business. Oh, who's that? Oh, Mr. Baker from the magazine. Good evening, Miss Sherwood. I've read your manuscript. You left it behind today. I'd like to discuss it. What? I said I read your manuscript. I'd like to discuss it with you. Yes. That's what I thought you said. Oh, oh she's fainted. My sister has fainted. Oh, Ruth. Ruth! In a moment, we will continue with the second part of Academy Awards. And now, the House of Squibb presents part two of Academy Award. Starring Rosalind Russell and Janet Blair in My Sister Eileen. So you see, I'm not going to quit. Anybody can walk out. That's easy. I'm going to stay and fight Craven to a finish. I think that's just fine, Mr. Baker. I also think it's four o'clock in the morning. Good night. Hey, hey, wait a second. I was only letting off steam. Look, I fainted once tonight from people letting off steam. And I thank you for the spaghetti and meatballs. It was a great treat for me tonight, especially since we've been living on them for a week. <laughs> Why didn't you say something? Because I couldn't get a word in edgewise. I couldn't even remind you that I'm an author. And I wrote some stories, remember? About Columbus. Sure. And I read them. It took till 4 o'clock in the morning to find out they weren't even worth mentioning. I don't know what you're talking about. They're very good. They are? Sure. Well, why didn't you say so? Didn't I? No. Why, you write like an angel. You know, these stories are quite good. Oh, just quite good. Isn't that good enough? You mean, if you could publish them, you, you wouldn't? No, I wouldn't. You see, the people are good, but the stories are flat. That's because not enough happens to you. Uh, oh, it doesn't, eh? That's what I said. You can't lead a quiet, sheltered life. Quiet, expect... sheltered? Down in that tunnel with subway blast and a populist, our Rasputin landlord, cheating us blind with Eileen dragging home newspaper geniuses and drugstore managers and anything else she happens to meet up with in the course of a day, with football players drifting through, not for no reason at all. Did you say sheltered? Why, that's it. Say that's exactly the stuff. Write it. Write what? Write about your life in a Greenwich Village apartment. Eileen, the blast, the whole menagerie. Why, it's wonderful. Oh, I see what you mean. Why, why, sure. And so... That was what happened. That was what happened to me, to me, and my sister, Eileen. There, it's finished. What, the tunnel? No, the book. 
say, Ruth, you you seem so terribly down today, and golly, if you start feeling that way, well, who's going to hold me up? Oh, I'm not worried about I, you, Eileen, not while there's a man alive. But after all, Ruth, men are only an escape. Comes another escape. Sherwood residence. Miss Ruth Sherwood. For me? Ruth, it's Chick's paper. Hello? Yes? This is she. Her. She. <laughs> what? Uh, yes. Yes, sure. Yeah. Stan Street, Brooklyn? Yes. Yeah, I, I've got it. Sure, I understand. Thanks. What is it? What's going on? You're going to give me a chance to show what I can do. An assignment to, to cover over in Brooklyn. Well, what happened over in Brooklyn? A Portuguese ship, merchant marine, with a load of young cadets. They want a human interest story on it. Jeez. Oh, Eileen, uh, where is Brooklyn? Oh, it's, uh, it's, um... Oh, well, you can't miss it. Oh, thanks. That's a help. <laughs> Hello, gorgeous. Oh, uh, hello, Chick. Well, uh, how did you get in here? Your back door lock is busted. Uh, oh, well, gosh, you scared me half to death. Oh, take it easy, sugar. I happened to see Ruth ducking into the subway, and I thought maybe gorgeous is alone. Oh, I see. Well, uh, she's on her way to Brooklyn, and oh, I, I, I do want to thank you for getting that assignment for her, Chick. Oh, forget it. Now, let's get your future straightened out. Uh, Will uh, you stand still, please? Uh, well, I've been waiting for that interview to be published, Chick. This week, sugar. Oh, well, gee, thanks. Uh, don't you think you better go now? Go? After I went and fixed it to get you along without that eagle-eyed sister of yours around? Oh, you framed my sister. Now, don't get tragic. Oh, you get out of here. Now, that's silly. After all, I tried to do for that sister of yours. Oh, go away. Take your hands off of me. Oh, stop playing coy, sugar. Stop it, please. Oh, come in, come in. Oh, Mr. Baker. Well, I'm certainly glad to see you. And now, Mr. Clark, will you kindly get out? I think I'd do as the lady says, Clark. Sure. A little hot for wrestling anyway. Oh, Mr. Baker. No, 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 no. You're, you're all right. Oh, I, I really don't know what I'd have done. Oh, there, there. Sit right down. Hmm? Right over there. Oh, Mr. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Eileen. Oh, where is it? Where is it, I say? Where is what, Mr. Apopolis? My picture, my painting, my life. Lord, my career, my work, my art. Ye God, it must be somewhere. I remember painting it, framing it. But wait, where did I hang it? Who was that? That was Mr. Apopolis, our landlord. Darling, the 
the fleet in. Ah, see, it's your pajamas. Oh, he's nice. Help me get rid of them. Well, who are they, Ruth? Cadet from that Portuguese ship I interviewed. Well, what did you bring them in here for? We got trouble as it is. Bring them? They were on my trail ever since I left the Brooklyn dock. There were more than when we started out, but half of them got lost in the subway. Oh! Oh! They're coming at me, Ruth. Help! Help! End up a rocket, honey. It's too late now. down here to see me. This is the first time I've ever been in a jail. You don't say. Imagine why we're thrown in the clink twice every week. (laughs) Well, if you want an explanation for this, Frank, you can go right now. Oh, no, no. I I was bringing you this anyway. Chocolate-covered cherries. A special we're running this week. (laughs) Oh, thank you. You are the sweetest boy. Oh, I'm glad you think so. Because I made an important decision today. And it's just as well that your sister's here, too. Why? Why, Frank? This, this is hardly the place for a proposal. Yeah, oh, no, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't? No. No, you see, I, I suddenly realized that I was wasting my life. Now, you girls have the right idea. Follow your natural bent, whatever it is. So, so I'm ready for the bohemian life. How dare you? We're not bohemians. No, we're not. We're a couple of girls from Columbus, Ohio, who are here trying to make a living. And that's all we're here for. Mr. Baker to see you. Ruth, Eileen. Bob. Bob. Hold everything. I didn't know you knew Mr. Baker. Why, of course, Ruth. We had a delightful time this afternoon, didn't Aww. we, Bob? Uh, I, uh, I, I, I'll go out and talk to the man about bail. <laughs> Be a little while, girls. Just a little while. Come on, you guys. Play in the hall. Other people want to visit in jail here. What now, officer? Mr. Sherwood from Columbus, Ohio, to see you. Dad. Oh, Dad. Don't dad me. Did you have to come all the way to New York to land in jail? What's the matter with our jail back home? <laughs> it isn't the jail, Dad. It's, it's well, uh, well, they've got better reasons in New York for putting you in. <laughs> Hurry up, girls. Finish your packing. We're going back to Columbus. Yes, Dad. Okay, Dad. We're packing. Well, nobody can say we haven't lived in this dump while we were at it. And it's so nice and quiet today. Good heavens, what was that? Come on, we'll run for the street. It's just a subway, Dad. They're digging it closer all the time. Oh, subway, huh? Ruth. Ruth. Bob. Where have you been? I've been calling all day. Well, they took the phone out. Well, what are you do? What are you doing packing? You can't go. See here, who are you? Never mind who I am. This girl stays in New York. 
Look, I published a story, the lead story in this issue of the Manhattan. You're made. Oh, Bob! Hold it. Hold, just don't faint. It's true. Where is she? Mr. Craven came along with a contract. Now, see here. I've made up my mind. I, I, who is he? My, my father, Mr. Baker, Mr. Craven. Wait! I've searched everywhere. I am this. Mr. Apopolis, my father. Hey, Ruth, my wife wanted to know if... Oh, company. That's a wreck from Georgia Tech. Now, look here, Mr. Sherwood. We're going home. You can't go home. Ruth and I have a great deal of work to do. It may take years. Maybe a lifetime. Bob. Sign this contract. I want an entire series of the Eileen stories. Oh, a series. Sure, sure, sure. Where do I sign? Right here. Oh, what about me? Huh? Oh, you. That's it. I'll sign this contract if you get my sister Eileen a job in the theater. What? Yes or no. Right. Yes or no. Oh, Mr. Craven. Why, you must know just just everybody. Why, I... Why, certainly, I... Uh, go ahead. Uh, sign that contract. I'll, uh, I'll take care of your sister... Yes, indeed. Uh, now, listen here. I'm the father of these girls, and I say we're going to go... Oh, oh, look! A man is coming up through the floor. Hey! Hey, where am I? Hey, Pete! We let the last one go in the wrong place. This ain't the subway no more. It's some damn department! And that was Rosalind Russell and Janet Blair in My Sister Eileen. Love that. Just time to find out who the hell that Hollywood legend was. Do you have a radio program uh, in which you sometimes act, sometimes give chatter? Sometimes. Are you head a hopper? Oh! Oh! I would have killed myself. Yes, it was the scourge of Hollywood herself, head a hopper. And you may have had an advantage there if you've listened to Carrie 3, as she plays a big part in that. In fact, not only do patrons have access right now to Carrie Part 3 Volume 1, they'll also be getting an all-new series exclusively on Patreon in the coming month. Thin. The Secret History of Hollywood treatment is being given to the Thin Man series. Hear all about the drama, the intrigue, the friendships, the crimes, and the success of the Thin Man and its stars and creators begins on Patreon in June. Plus, of course, you get access to Memoirs in Minutes, the new biography series, Queens of Cinema, Blueprints, Film Club, Movie Commentaries, early access to these Attaboy episodes, plus bonus editions every week, so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash attaboysecret or follow the link in the show notes of this episode. Get your summer listening ready to go. Well, that's all from me for this episode. Thank you so much for coming along. Until we speak again... Take splendid care of yourselves and those you love, and bye for now. Bye.